starting a brand new series today called God at Work. And I'm going to be honest with you, this is a challenging series for me um, because it, it really is a very, very practical message about career. And to equate that over to calling and what that means. And so it's, I think it's challenging to me as a communicator, but it's also challenging to me as a pastor because um, pastors have a lot of focus on kingdom in the house, like what, what we're doing here that, that is, is doing well or that is broken that we need to fix or a weak spot that we need to strengthen. And so a lot of our energies throughout the week and within uh, the call of God on my life personally is about the local church here as we stand together. But this series is really about what happens when you leave and you hop into the calling that's specific on your life, which now we dub as marketplace ministry. So as a follower of Jesus, what are you doing outside of this building that is passionate for you and is a calling for you, but uh, more so than, than, than that, how are you using that passion and calling to expand the kingdom of God? And because we're all called to be um, evangelistic and to share the story of Jesus. So how are we doing that? And so we're going to take the next couple of weeks to take a look at this. But um, I want to just start by just asking you this. Is God interested in your work? Because for some of you, this might be a gray area. You might be thinking, you know, nothing is as important as what they do and, or what this person over here does, but very seldom do you look at your own life and go, man, I, I'm doing something really good. It's kind of when Nehemiah was re rebuilding the wall and, and Sanballat kept sending these messages to, to come and meet him, and he was, he was atop the wall, and he was like, I'm doing a good work, and I won't come down, so tell him that. Uh, very seldom do we feel that passionate about what we're doing. So it's easy for us to aim and look around the world and say, man, what they're doing is awesome, what they're doing is awesome, but what about me? Does God care about what you're doing? The answer there is rhetorical because it's, it's an absolute yes. Uh, God cares about every aspect of our lives, so he's certainly going to care about the way that you are providing, not only for your family, but for the church. That what you do and what we just prayed over is symbolic of your time and energy and how you're giving that back to the kingdom to further it. So our nature is typically to compartmentalize. Now, we do this in a lot of ways, a lot of areas. We, we like to break things down because we understand them this, this way. Okay, They're, They become easier to manage or to improve or to change them, and so we compartmentalize them. And so we tend to compartmentalize our spiritual life. So, you know, on, on Sunday, I'm going to do this. This is what it looks like for me. It's my spiritual life. And then you have your family or your relational life. And so you've got this area of your life where you're in sync with the people that are closest to you. You're living life together. You got the same goals, hopefully at least a few. You're moving in the same direction. You're getting along, hopefully. And so you got your family or relational life. And then you have a professional life, which is a big part of, of who you are and what, what you're doing. Okay, now to give you an idea, because it may have been a while 
since you've actually given this thought, let me, let me give you a little bit of statistic here so that you can wrap your mind around it. It's estimated that you're going to spend, you and I are going to spend 140,000 hours of our lives working. Okay, 140,000 hours at work. This is about 40% of your lifespan. Okay, so about 40% of your life, you're going to spend doing the things that you do that provide, that resource you, that resource our church. So that's 40% of your life. But watch, you're also going to sleep about 230,000 hours which is about 33% of your life. But you could take that same 230,000 hours that you were going to sleep and you could watch the movie Die Hard 105,000 times. So it's up to you. But you're going to work for 40% and you're going to sleep for 33%. So you've got about 27% of your life. I read this week that the average family in the U.S. is spending 30 minutes a day in quality time together. That's it. Half hour that you've got with your kids, with your spouse, for a conversation, for a meal together, for a how are you, for a checkup, for a let's talk about life. Half hour every day. The rest of it is given over to the responsibilities of your home. You're getting the oil change. You're mowing the yard. You're doing laundry. You're, you're preparing meals. You're doing the stuff, your second job, that once you leave work, you come home and work some more. This is the energy. It's the ebb and flow of our lives. And when we think about this, y'all, li- listen, there is a very, very small percentage of our lives when we are actually practicing spirituality. I mean, we had a week of prayer this week. I would never, ever ask you to raise your hand. But it may be that some of you got so distracted, now you look at this and go, oh, totally forgot, week of prayer. I didn't pray this week. I didn't fast this week. I didn't ask God for anything this week. I didn't read my Bible this week. I didn't make any margin. I didn't make any room. And it's because your life is clicking along at the speed of light, and and you don't know how to throw a wrench in it. So our spirituality, the act of worship or serving or taking a moment and and ridding ourselves of all the clutter spiritually and focusing upon God and His purpose and plans for our lives is very, very small. But whatever phase of life you are in, God wants to bless your work. Not just for you to make money, but to make a difference. And so career actually comes from the English word racetrack, okay? Where cars and horses run at full speed. It's a lane to run in, all right? So my prayer today and over the next couple of weeks in this series is that God would put you in a lane where you can run at full speed with something you love doing. Can I get an amen? All right, so I want to pause and pray over us. God, I love you. Thank you for our church, everybody in here. I thank you for the way you've provided. I thank you for every job and career that is represented in this room, and we're thankful for all of it. And so I pray that you'd open our mind, our ears to hear, our heart to receive, our spirit to grow as we talk about this topic that is obviously very important to you. We love you. We give you the praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This message today is a note-taker's dream. 
because I'm going to give you a lot of points, okay, and a lot of Scripture. So if you're that person, lick the end of of your pen because we're about to get to it. Only y'all in the South know what that means. I want to cover really quick three things that we see in the Bible regarding work, and then I'll talk about five purposes. Okay, now I'm going to go through these quick, obviously, but I want to talk about three things. The first one is the creation of work. Okay, where did work come from? How did it get here? How did we dream up this philosophy that we need to do something with our time? Well, it comes from God, and it's early. So Genesis chapter 2, 8 and 9 says this, and I'm reading from the New Living It says, the Lord God planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. Verse 9, the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Now, if you jump ahead about six verses to verse 15, it says, then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Okay? So in paradise, in the middle of perfection, God says, you need to have some responsibility. Okay, Now, I got one punch to throw. I'm going to go ahead and throw it, but I want you to listen. All the single ladies, before God gave Adam a wife, he had a J-O-B. Hello. Finds you a man who knows how to be responsible. If he can't take care of himself, he cannot take care of you. All right? So Adam had a job. Now, Eden means this, delight and pleasure. That's what it means. God's original design for work was to be in an environment of delight and pleasure that at the end of the day, you could look at what you had done and go, man, that's good. This was enjoyable. This was pleasurable to me, to look at what my hands have have done. I love summertime in my yard because I get that same feeling. And I know some of y'all are are just as obsessed with your yard as I am mine, but you get out there and you got to have the line straight, baby. I mean, you, you can't have no crooked line. Thank you. I got one. One Christian in the whole building. You got to have the line straight. Okay? And then you, you, got to, you, got to, you got to get that edge. You know, you got to get the edge going. If you, you, can have, you can have a line, but then if you look over and your driveway has a goatee, something is not right. You got to get the edge on it. Okay, it's that feeling of going, man, I did that. Two hours ago, this thing looked terrible, but now, no, no, because of me. This thing looks amazing. That's what work does for us, okay? So the creation of work. The second thing is then then came the curse of work. And in Genesis chapter 3, watch this, verse 17. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife. Now, I want to pause right there for a minute. I'm just reading the Bible, y'all. I don't, I don't need your hate mail. This is Scripture. <laughs> he goes on to say, Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Verse 18, it will produce thorns and thistles. You will eat the plants of the field. Verse 19, by the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food. 
Um, the thing that God told them not to do, they did. And when sin came into the world, it affected every single area. It affected relationships. It affected how we, we interacted with God. I mean, immediately man never knew to run off and hide until sin came into to, to the world. We're still doing it. We're still running and hiding. Adam was working before the curse, but now because the ground was cursed, work became hard. For the very first time, work became tumultuous. It was difficult. It was, I mean, I'd like to call in sick today. It's one of those kind of things. And work can be hard. Physically, it can be hard. Mentally, it can be hard. Some of you have jobs where you think all day long and you go home exhausted. Mine's tired. You can't put a, a fork into something and put it in your mouth because your brain doesn't work anymore. So tired. Some of you work a lot of hours and you're tired. Some of you are overqualified and you're bored. Some of you are underpaid and you're unsatisfied. It's the curse of work. Okay. The third thing is the commitment of work. Now, Colossians chapter 3, verse 23 says this, Work willingly at whatever you do as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. I want us to pause there for a minute because this is a great philosophy of day-to-day, of, of the drudgery. He says, I want you to work willingly at whatever it is that you do as though you were working for the Lord, not for people. Man, doesn't that raise the bar? That's like the big boss showing up. Suddenly you want to be excellent. Suddenly you want to make sure that those little areas that you haven't tended to, you wish they were tended to. Why? Because we're working for the Lord rather than for a person that we can manipulate and hide things from. I don't know if you've ever seen that, that show, uh, World's Toughest Jobs or World's Worst Jobs, um, but it's, it's, it's terrible uh, to watch. Uh, dirty jobs with micro, and man, you, you look at that and you're like, man, I, I am so thankful for that. Um, I will tell you this moment, and I don't mean this to be offensive, but one time I had a job and I, I hated it, and I was driving down the road. I told Robbie I was driving down the road, and there was a guy out in the street wearing a chicken suit and a sign waving at people, and I immediately lifted my hands and thanked God for my job. <laughs> I was like, God, thank you. I'm not in a chicken suit. Now, if tomorrow morning you're going to get in a chicken suit, I don't know what to say. I, I, don't, I, don't, really, I don't have anything. I just had a word of it. <laughs> Listen, four toughest jobs, okay? A landmine operator. Anybody in here operating landmines? Okay, it's the number one worst job in the world. No room for margin, obviously. The second one is a communication tower climber. Okay, so you've seen those big, you know, Excel towers and stuff. Climbing all the way up there to fix those things. Okay, no thanks for that. Third is a porta potty cleaner. Now listen, Eddie Boone and I are friends. And if y'all tell him I talked about him, I'll deny it to the fullest and call y'all heretics. But his slogan <laughs> I can only say this at the nine o'clock. I, I can't do this at eleven. It's a much safer service. His slogan is, I'm the number one man in the number two business. That's brilliant, y'all. 
Listen, when you got the third toughest job in the world, you got to come up with something, right? The fourth thing is a snake milker, okay? Yeah, milk, milk and snakes of venom, I'm, I'm, hoping, I'm hoping. I mean, I didn't do the research, but I'm assuming that's what it is. <laughs> it's right next to the almond milk, you know, your grocer's freezer. I'm so far off where I want to be right now. Uh, I love mornings like, like this. Abraham Lincoln said, whatever you are, be a good one. All right? Uh, just, he's like, listen, whatever you choose, just be good at it. So the creation of work, the curse of work, and the commitment of work is where all of this comes from. But I want to drill down. I want to give you these five purposes of work. They aren't mind-blowing, but I think they're a good refresher of who we are. So I want to take the next 15 minutes or so and just, and just talk these through with you. Okay, the first one is the most obvious, to earn a living. Okay, we, we got to pay for stuff. Um, we got to resource things. And so your way of life, your goals, what you want to do with, with your free time, how you want to uh, interact with your family, what is that going to look like? Uh, you got to earn something. And so um, for some of you, you know, you are, you are creative and you created a business and you're blessed because of it. Uh, some of you went to school and because you needed specific training to do a specific thing, and now that gets you paid. Some of you love just, just working, just the sweat, the hands-on experience. You jumped right into a job out of high school, and you just started working. And because of that, you got paid. It's to earn a living. Well, First Timothy chapter 5, and, and, and listen, I want to be very, very careful here because there's some of you, I don't want this to feel like guilt, because there's some of you who are disabled and you want to work, but you can't. And there are, are some of you here that maybe you've just been let go and you're in transition. And so the worst thing for you that, you know, you wanted to come to church and, and hear me talk about this, lift them up, fire them up, God's, you know, man of faith and power, and, and you're, you're going to make it kind of message. And here I'm talking about the area in your life right now that's the most sensitive. So I want to be very careful that you filter this right, okay? But First Timothy chapter 5, he says this, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially their own house, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. This means this, we got to take care of our kids, we got to take care of our family. We got to make sure that people are taken care of and that we are doing whatever we have to do to make that happen. For those of you who are working hard, listen, God honors you. He sees you. He is the boss of your life and he knows that you are working so hard. You are taking care of your family and you are being faithful to scripture. And that also, this is not a sermon on, on giving, but I want you to know it equates into how you resource our church and we're thankful for it. So second <clears throat> Thessalonians chapter three, verse 10 says this, even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. I mean, he was dealing with a problem in Thessalonica. 
In verse 11, he says, Yet we hear that some of you, watch, he addresses three problems. You are living with idle lives, refusing to work, and meddling in other people's business. How you like that? Wouldn't that be great? That's going to be my series next Sunday. Meddling in other people's business. Verse 12, we command such people and urge them, watch this, urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's powerful. To settle down and work to earn a living. The second thing is that we work to express our talents. We are looking for a vehicle to express the giftedness on your life. Some of you are really good at specific things, and then there are others of us, we look at your life and we go, how is that possible that we can do that? I told David yesterday, we, we were together and we were talking about tonight and out of nowhere for a very good reason, we have one of our musicians back out and I said, David, I can fill in. I can do it. He's like, well, I mean, I could give you a guitar with no strings and no power and I need a place, David, to express my talent. A job is what you're paid for, but a calling is what you're made for, and you feel that tension sometimes. You look at your life and you go, I can do something better than this. You look at your life and you go, I don't know if where I'm at is the best fit. You look at, at your life and you go, man, I've, I'm not the same person I was five years ago. And this job was great for me five years ago. But now I've grown. I'm in a better spot. I know more. I gained more life experience or I gained more education or I took a class, I did whatever, and now I'm ready for another step. And so you feel that tension between where you are and where you want to go. Some of you are very creative. Some of you are organized. Man, you're planned out. Okay? Some of you, you got a knack for business strategy or organizational leadership. Some of you love to work with your hands, whether that's fixing Fords or fixing arteries. You just want to get in there. Some of you love kids. You know how to teach them. You should come to my home. I could use you. Some of you are gifted artistically. We need an outlet to express our gifts that God has given us. So how do you know when you're in the right spot, the right fit? Well, the tendency is for two things. You're going to be successful at it, and you're going to be satisfied with it. That when you're in that spot that's, that's right, you tend to do it really well. It just comes out of you. Your natural aptitude, giftedness, the way life has shaped you, you do the job and you do it well, you're successful at it, and you're satisfied with it. You find you are gratified by getting up every day and going, man, I get to go and, and, and do this. It doesn't feel like work to you because you enjoy it so much. Okay, So there is a part of us where meaning matters more than money. The meaning of what I'm doing. The purpose behind what I'm doing. Okay, Three, to enlarge my character. We go to work and interact with people in a field that we love or that we want to get toward because it shapes us. There's no doubt about it. And you may say, I, I, don't, I don't know about that one. Well, let me, let, me, let me kind of bring this back home to you and remind you 
of, of how you got to where you are right now. Okay, I want to ask you, I don't want you to raise your hand, but have you ever had a bad boss? You know, they may be here this morning. That's why I said don't raise your hand. Have you ever had a bad boss? I mean, someone who's just unfair and didn't have strong character and lacked loyalty and all the things that we would love from someone in, in leadership, but they were not that person. It shaped you. I told, uh, you know, Robbie and I, when we share about some of our experience, we say, we have been to some places where we learned what not to do, and that was the biggest takeaway for us. Because of bad leadership or bad character or bad loyalty issues or moral issues, we learned what not to do, how not to treat people. I don't know if you've ever worked in a toxic environment where everybody's upset and everybody's bitter and everybody wants to leave and nobody, nobody believes in, in the vision. Everybody's there just for the check. And it creates this culture where you're working that is very toxic and very sick and you just want out. I don't know if you've ever had a coworker that you wanted to throat punch. Bam! Go back to your cubicle. We've all had those people we don't want to work with. But God will shape you through your work, okay? And so this is going to sound like a Dr. Seuss point, but the who is greater than do, okay? Who is greater than do? Who you are becoming is much more important than what you are doing, okay? The path, the journey, the shaping, and we talked about this a little last week about how God takes that piece of wood and He just begins to shape it. He will use vocation to do that, to enlarge your character. When I look at some of the jobs I've had, they've all taught me something. I can see over the years where I've been shaped by all of them. My first job, my dad would go out and line up yards for me. It was a good gig because it was his mower, he made me pay for the gas that I used, but it was his equipment. He maintained it, but he would just drop me off in a yard with a, a mower and a weed eater and a blower, and he would say, go get it. And I'm talking about in the 80s, 10 bucks is what you got for mowing a yard. Now, I've told you all this, but I wanted a Swatch watch. <laughs> Anybody remember Swatch watches? Don't act like you don't know. Okay. Some of you are like, I'm too young for that. No, it's Swatch Watch. Swatch Watch was the Apple Watch of my day. And it was $100. That's 10 yards. Okay, That's a lot of sweat, Brother Joe. And I remember I told my dad, I said, I'm going to get this Swatch Watch. And he would take me over. I've told you all this, I know, but it makes the point. He took me to the store, and I looked. I said, that's the one I'm going to get. He said, great, let's go mow, you know. I said, are you, are you, are you going to help me? He said, yeah, if you pay me five bucks. Well, I want the five bucks. Well, then you're going to have to mow the yard. And I mowed, and I mowed, and I mowed, and I mowed, and I got $100. And I went to the store, and I went up front. And this is life lessons according to Larry. We go in. I'm like, I got the money. She's like, great. You know, she pulls it out. Here's your, here's your watch. Throw my money on the counter. And I did not understand the meaning of tax. And my dad would not pay it. 
I'm not kidding y'all. He would not pay it. And he made me walk out of that store without that. He said, I guess you got to go one, one more. It was a setup. He knew it from the beginning. I told him, I, I told him just the other day, because I, I knew I was going with this, I went by his house, and I told him, I said, do you remember that? And he said, I sure do. And I said, when you die, I'm burying you face down. Because <laughs> of the Swatch Watch incident. It's in my heart. I'm bitter about it. I'm going to honor you while you live, because I want to live to be an old man. But when you're gone, that commandment's over. I can do whatever I want with your body. So what did I do? I went and mowed one more yard. <laughs> and I went back and I bought that stinking watch. Okay? He just wanted to teach me hard work. Like, get out there. This is what it means to work hard and have something in your hand. I, went, I worked at, at Kroger when I first moved here as a teenager. They taught me how to follow directions how to do what somebody else was telling me to do, and how to appreciate order, how to shelf things, present things, how to make an aisle clean, how to clean a bathroom. It was used by people that you don't know. Just, just gritty, just get in there, pr presentation, follow orders, appreciate order. My mom retired from Walmart, and so when I graduated high school, I was deciding, I was, well, was it going to take a gap year? Or was I going to go right into college? And I, I didn't know, and I hadn't saved. It was just a terrible circumstance. So I decided I'm just going to go to work. And I'm not kidding. Walmart taught me I wanted to go to college. It did. I graduated on Friday night, Monday morning early. This is when the shifts were different. Monday morning early, I went in, I was throwing boxes, and I was like, ah, I should have applied like three months ago. And then pastoring has taught me a lot too. But on the advice of counsel, I invoke my Fifth Amendment privilege. <laughs> I'm not going to tell, tell you guys what, what you've taught me. Just kidding. The fourth thing, to encourage others. All right, and here's where we get biblical about it. Proverbs 11 says, A generous person will prosper, and whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. There is something big about what you do that brings life to other people. No matter what you do, you are helping the processes of life. People come to you because something is broken, because they're ready for a next step, because they're sick, because they need you to solve a problem, because their children need to academically advance. There is a deep-seated purpose in what you do that encourages other people. God has chosen and this, I think this is how we, what, what we forget often, is that God has chosen to work through human beings who in their different capacities and talents serve each other. In His power and creativity, the world could have been served through angelic beings. But he didn't want it that, that way. He wanted us to serve each other, 
to learn to love each other, the apex of his entire creation. He said, I want those guys to get along. We don't do well at it. We need to get much better at it, but we need to know that when we refresh other people, we will be refreshed. In fact, we've all experienced this pattern. We've all experienced God's healing because we went to a doctor who was trained by an educator, who prescribed a medication, who, that was prepared by a pharmacist, and so on and so on and so on. The process, the process, the process, and we end up being refreshed. And we need to have a reset today that what you're doing, no matter what you do, is important to the kingdom. And right there, you've got this opportunity to show people the love of Christ. So when I, when I talk about marketplace ministry, I'm not talking about you standing there with the big you know, King James Version family Bible waiting to preach a sermon. No. Years ago, I learned something in passing from T.D. Jakes. He doesn't know me. He just said it on TV and I was watching, but he said this. It changed my whole outlook, and I've carried this sentence with me all of the, the time. But he said, listen, when people are hungry, they don't need a sermon. They need a sandwich. And it was so true. And I was like, that's exactly marketplace ministry. When you give somebody from your talent, from your expression of your ability, you are showing the love of God. And five, let, let, me, let me get here. To expand God's kingdom. We work so that we can be generous people. And I, I want to be careful here, but at the same time, I want to be firm. I want to be a good pastor. And I wouldn't be if I didn't tell you this. But you show me a church that is not generous, and I'm going to show you a sick church. A church that only hoards. Recently I was talking with a pastor, and his church is about to split. Because they have $250,000 in cash in their bank account. And he's wanting to sow it into church planning. And the team that he's accountable to right now is saying, no, we're not spending any of that. That's ours. I get wisdom. I, I get rainy days. I understand the concept there. But when a church is a vessel that receives and never pours, or a church is full of people who are not generous, it's a sick church. There's no other way to look at it. Rick Warren, he wrote a little book, you may have heard of it, The Purpose Driven Life. Purpose Driven Life is the number two best-selling book in the history of authorship aside from Scripture. Imagine how terrible he would have felt if it sold more copies in the Bible. You know, as, as, as a Christian, Lord, I didn't mean for it to be that good. <laughs> to pull it from the shelves, let the Bible catch up. <laughs> but he wrote this book, The Purpose Driven Life. And let me tell you what happened. Rick Warren's a pastor at Saddleback Community Church in California. And he <laughs> overnight became a gazillionaire and it scared him I don't know what your thoughts are on Rick Warren it doesn't matter I'm just telling you what, what a lot of us do not know in this building so he became this best selling author overnight traveling around the world talking about 
purpose. It was a, just a, a timely book. People going, I really need an answer to know why I'm even here. And so he started doing crazy things. It's, it scared him to death, but he lived in the same house. He drove the same truck. He did this thing one afternoon. He was in his office. And he, he decided, I want to know out of all the years, he's been at Saddleback for years and years and years, I think 30 plus years. And he, he decided, I want to figure out how much Saddleback has paid me. So he did some numbers, figured it up, and wrote him a check to cover his entire salary that they had ever paid him. Come on, y'all, that's generosity. Then he did something that's so bizarre, but when we talk about, about tithing, he, he did this phrase called reverse tithing. And he lives off 10% and gives 90. We said, well, Kevin, that's easy to do when you're a gazillionaire. Is it? Is it? Because I think you're either generous or you're not. You're just as generous with $10 as you are with $10 million. It's either in you or it's not. But I can tell you this, the local church, as long as we can trace back, depended upon the resources of the people to make it happen, just like everything else in Scripture. This is why we do it. To express a talent, to take care of our family, to expand the kingdom, to encourage others. This is why we do it. This is why 40% of our lives are going to be spent doing this. Okay? So, I want to pray over you. And I don't know where you are. I, I don't know what a message like this does for you. I don't know if it makes you go, you know, thank you, God, I'm in such a great spot and you have gratitude. I don't know if it creates a tension in you to where you go, man, maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm not maximizing the giftedness in my life or where I'm at. Maybe I'm kind of stagnant. And God wants to take me to the next place of influence. I know some of you might be job hunting. This is a big time of, of, of the year for people to be looking. You might be going, God, I'm ready for a transition. I'm ready for change. I'm ready for something to happen. I want to pray for all that today, okay? And I want to do it with a lot of honor. So God, I thank you for our people.